Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Christian Fellowship Free Church. Thank you for being here. Thank you for choosing to worship with us this morning. Um, as we begin, I'd like to thank um, everybody who came out for potluck and prayer last night, everyone who brought food um, and filled everyone's bellies. So thank you very much for bringing food. And thank you very much, uh, specifically Lauren and Monica and Emily, for putting together our prayer time um, and just being able to lead the church in that. Um, it was, uh, from what I've heard, it was a really good night. People have come up and shared with me just voluntarily that it was a wonderful night of formation. So thank you, ladies, for putting that together. And thank you for everybody for being there. It's something we do on a regular basis. We try and do it about once a month. Um, and so if you weren't there last night, you can catch the, the next one at the end of March um, coming up. So start planning now. The last Saturday in March will be our next one. So um, this morning, we're going to be continuing in our First John series. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to First John. Um, if you have uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in a seat back around you, and if you're using one of those Bibles, uh, you're either going to be going to page 874 or page 1021, depending on which Bible is in front of you in the seat backs. Um, and if you don't own a Bible, uh, please take that as our gift to you and keep that. Um, so we're going to be in First John as we've been walking through this series of God is light. In him is no darkness, and we've been talking a lot about what does it mean to walk in the light. Um, for the last uh, couple of weeks, I found a new show on Netflix that I've been slowly binge-watching. I don't know if you can slowly binge-watch, but I've, that's kind of what I've been doing. Uh, it's called Blue Bloods. It's a crime, it's one of those like crime drama kind of you know, um, shows, and it's about a family of police officers in New York City. And it's this generational family. So you have uh, the grandfather, who's the retired police commissioner, and then you have uh, his son, who's the current police commissioner, and then he's got two sons. Um, one is the head detective, um, it's Marky Mark's brother, Donnie, so that's kind of fun. Um, and, uh, and then his younger brother is kind of like a beat cop on the street, still kind of new on the job. Um, and then their sister actually works for uh, the district attorney's office. So it's a lot of people in, um, in that, that kind of world. And so uh, the, the show is, you know, your standard police procedural kind of show where they follow a different case and they're solving crimes and such. And one of the things that sticks out to me is that every week the family gets together uh, for a family dinner. They get together on Sunday nights and they do family dinner and the, the kids are there and everybody's at this table and usually the conversation that happens during this family meal uh, revolves around you know, whatever the case, whatever the theme of that episode is or whatever case um, Donnie Wahlberg is trying to solve and they kind of talk through it. Um, and the thing that sticks out to me when I watch that and especially that scene when they're at the, at the dinner table together is that everyone has something to add. Everyone's voice is heard at the table. Even um, one of the detectives has two sons who are like six and eight um, and even they will ask questions and they'll, they'll hear what the adults are talking about and they'll ask questions and, and the adults will kind of talk and, and interact with them. They don't brush them off, they don't push them to the side. Um, and it's this cool picture of, of what a generational family and what generational relationships can look like. That if you're humble enough to learn from the generation before or after you, there is great wisdom to be found. Um, and in today's passage, what we're going to look at this morning, John addresses the people of the church that he's been writing to, and he does so in kind of a generational sense. He addresses them um, in the three, kind of three stages of a person's spiritual walk. So we're going to see John encourage, um, and we're going to talk about some of the challenges that come with each of those walks of life. And so he addresses them as first as little children, um, and then as young men and, and women, and then as fathers and mothers. And so my, 
hope for us this morning is that whatever camp you find yourself in, whatever stage of your walk with Christ you are in, that this morning is a day of encouragement and challenge for you. And so that's our plan for this morning. I'm going to pray, and then we will jump into 1 John chapter 2. So will you please uh, bow your heads and pray with me. God, I thank you. God, I thank you for this diverse and humble community that you have given us, this great gift that you have given us, this place where we can come and we can find rest and we can find encouragement and we can be challenged by you. God, we know it is not always neat and clean and easy to be in community. Sometimes it is hard, but Lord, we thank you so much for how it shapes us. And with that, Lord, we thank you for the way that your word guides us and reveals you to us. Lord, we pray that we are open to your word this morning, that we are encouraged by it, challenged by it, edified by it, that we are able to be the kind of people who hear your word preached, who read your word and then respond, that we are the kind of people who respond to what you are calling us to do, to calling us to be. Lord, as I preach this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be glorifying to you. And we pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. So we're going to pick it up in 1 John chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 12. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So as you guys can see, if you have your Bibles open, uh, in most Bibles, this section, these two verses, three verses, um, are kind of offset. They're kind of written in a different way, right? They're, they're kind of printed differently because here John is using uh, a form of poetry, a form of Hebrew poetry, where there's some sy- uh, symmetry going on in the way he writes and the words he uses and some of the plays he does. So he has stopped in the middle of this letter that he's writing to this church about the foundations of Christianity, right? That's what we've talked about, that First John is writing to combat against all of the the false teaching, the things going on in the world, John says, here, these are the things you need to focus on. Here are the building blocks for you. And in the midst of writing this letter, he stops and then writes a little poem for, his, for the people he's writing to. And so he starts with calling them little children. Now this is going to be different. We're going to talk about later on in verse 13 where he talks about children, little children and children, two different words, two different ideas going on here. So when he says, I'm writing to you little children, this is a term of endearment. This is a term for the whole church. We saw this earlier in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. It's a term of endearment and love. Remember, John at this point is probably in his 70s or 80s. This is about 60 years or so. This, is, this has been a while since Jesus was alive. John is towards the end of his life, and so he sees himself as this kind of father figure to this church. And so it's this term of love and affection that he cares for these people, and he wants to see them grow. He wants to see this church thrive corporately, but also as individuals. And so before he addresses them as individual groups, he makes a statement to all of them, 
He makes a statement that they are all united in this one thing. Little children, your sins are forgiven for his namesake. As a reminder, regardless if you have been a Christian for five minutes or 50 years, you need to remember and be reminded regularly of the fact that your sins are forgiven for his namesake. Your sins are forgiven. Yes, you have sin. Sin is anything that is contrary to the perfect, holy, and just God who created all things. So our lies, our hate, our anger, our lust, our greed, these things are sin against God, and these things make us his enemy. And yet because, yes, he is holy and just and perfect, God is also loving and gracious and kind. He loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us, to pay the penalty that we deserve to pay, to die in our place on our behalf so that our sins, our rebellion, can be forgiven. And so because of Jesus' death on the cross, we have the ability to go from enemies to sons and daughters of God through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And John wants to remind these Christians he's writing to, your sins are forgiven. You are no longer condemned. You no longer have to find your identity, your satisfaction, your fulfillment in yourself or your own righteousness. Your identity is now wrapped up in the perfect righteousness of Jesus. John wants to remind us that in light of everything he has already talked about, remember, your sins are forgiven. In, every, in light of everything else he's already covered, the command to love others as Jesus loves us, that agape love, that unconditional kind of love, in light of that, that to remember that Jesus is our advocate before the Father, that he is the one who makes us to be in right standing with God, the fact that we can choose to be walking in light or walking in darkness. If we walk in the light, we are following and obeying Christ. And if we walk in darkness, we walk in the oppression of sin. In light of all of these things, in light of all the things John has already covered in this section, in this letter, he says, Christians, be encouraged. Christians, have hope. Remind, remember what the thing that unites us all, that your sins are forgiven. It is the common ground that unites a church like ours, that have people coming from all kinds of different backgrounds, all kinds of different places in their life, a church like ours that has diversity in it, the thing that can unite us, the thing that evens the playing field is that your sins are forgiven for his namesake. We can find common ground at the cross. Regardless of what you have done, if you accept Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, his offer of grace and forgiveness, it does not matter what you have done or what has been done to you. There is new life and new identity to be found. Your sins are forgiven, and they have been forgiven with a purpose, for his namesake. You were saved with a purpose. There is a point you have a purpose and plan on your life. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2, we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared beforehand. God has plans for you. God has a purpose for you. God has plans for you to further his kingdom through you. Plans to bring more light into this dark world through you. Plans to see more people come to know Jesus as their Savior through you. Your sins are forgiven 
to bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus. And so all of us who are Christians are united under that banner that our sins are forgiven. And so once he covers that, John says, look, all of you, my little children, all of you that I care so deeply about, your sins are forgiven for his namesake. John then identifies three different groups, three different stages of your walk if your sins have been forgiven, three different stages of your walk with Christ, three various stages of our spiritual lives. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. The first one we're going to start with are children. So in the second half of verse 13, he says, I write to you, children, because you know the Father. Now this word, like I said, little children, was more of a term of endearment. This is, I'm writing to you, infants. I'm writing to you, toddlers. You are in, those young who are in need of help, those so young where they're still kind of just taking in the world around them, still kind of just processing the things around them and just kind of trying to just live. He says, that's, that's the stage, that beginning stage of your walk with Christ. And he says, look, you know the Father. You have experienced him. You have a relationship with him. And through Jesus as your Savior, you have a relationship with God. And with that comes the resulting joy and peace of the knowledge of this relationship. You might not know God right now on a deep doctrinal level, but you've experienced his love and care and comfort. We, by God's grace, have a lot of babies and infants and toddlers in our church right now. For them, they have experienced the love and care of their moms and dads. They know and respond to mom and dad differently than they do to others, right? They can kind of know their voice. They can kind of pick them out in a lineup. They know and respond to mom and dad differently than they do to everyone else. But do they know their moms and dads on like a deep intellectual level yet? Right? They can't answer what their mom's favorite book is or what dad's order at Starbucks is. They don't know what their mom and dad are binge watching on Netflix. But what they do know is that mom and dad love them, protect them, comfort them provide for them. Now, as time goes on, as, these, as our kids, as the kids grow up, they're going to get to know their parents more. They're going to have more of a relationship. They're going to know more of the details. They will grow in their relationship with their moms and dads. But for now, they rest in what they have experienced. They rest in knowing that mom and dad protect and provide and comfort. It's the same thing for those that are in this stage of their walk with Christ. If you're still kind of new, you're still kind of young in your faith, you're still learning and just trying to take in and process and understand all the different characteristics of God or the concept of how the Trinity works or, you know, where do I find First John in the Bible? These different things. It's okay. If that's where you're at right now, that's okay because you are right where you need to be. If where you are right now is that you know that your sins are forgiven for his namesake, and you know that God loves you and that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Amen and amen. That is a great place to start and a great place to be. And my prayer for you is that you continue to grow and learn and mature in your faith. I understand being part of a church community can sometimes be super overwhelming, especially if you are kind of new to Christianity. 
There are going to be sometimes words or phrases that sound like insider talk that you don't know what is going on. You might not understand all of you know, why we do what we do on a Sunday morning. You might be in a community group and the conversation is just going right over your head. Let me tell you, you are not the first person to experience this. You are not the first person to be overwhelmed and not know what exactly is going on in church or like to take the Bible and you hear people say, read the Bible and you take this book and you have no idea where to start and you're just totally overwhelmed at the concept. Let me tell you, even that person who you might see in church and you might look at them and say, you know what, that's the kind of person I want to be. That's the kind of Christian I want to be. That, kind of, that person is mature. That person knows what's going on. That person at some point was in the stage you are in right now where they had no idea what was going on. At some point, they were lost and confused and overwhelmed like you. We all start somewhere. We were all kids at one point. We all had to learn how to walk and talk and develop. And the same goes for your faith. And so while you are in this season, if you are in this child season, John has an encouragement for you, and I have a bit of a challenge for you. John's encouragement is that you need to be able to trust and rest in what you know. You know that your sins are forgiven. You know that you are saved with a purpose. You know experientially the Father's love and grace for you. Trust in what you know. Rest in what you know. Revel in it. Celebrate it. Enjoy it. And my challenge, it's kind of challenge, kind of encouragement, is to ask questions. As you learn and grow and understand more and more of what it means to be a Christian, you're going to read things or hear things that you might not understand. Do not be afraid to ask questions. There are people in this church who have been doing this longer than you, so ask questions. Go find those people out. Christianity, I say it all the time up here, right? Christianity is a team sport. We are all on the same team. We are all doing this together. If I say something in a sermon and you don't understand what I'm talking about, write it on your connect card. Send me an email. Let's talk about it. I want you to understand what's going on here. I want to help you grow. When a child is hungry for food, they just ask for food. They cry. When they are thirsty, they don't worry about what people think about their thirst. They just know they want to get their thirst relieved, and they ask for it. They cry for it. When children have a need, they have nothing holding them back from asking for that need to be fulfilled. They aren't worried about what someone thinks about them or their need. They just ask. So if you are in this state, just ask. I want this church to be a place where people can feel safe and comfortable, regardless of where they are in their walk, to ask questions and learn. A good place to do that is get into a community group. If you haven't jumped in yet to one, jump into a community group. What's cool about this semester's groups is that all of them basically are, are walking through books of the Bible, and so you can jump in at any point. You don't have to, even if you've missed a couple of weeks, that's okay. Jump in. Get into a community group. Get into the Word. Join us as we're reading through the Bible right now. We're doing this two-year journey where we're getting in and we're reading. Right now we're in 1 Corinthians. Get in and join us as we're walking through the Bible together. The next section, the next uh, stage in their spiritual growth John addresses uh, is that he says of young men, young men and women. So we see in verse uh, 13, 
He says, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And if you skip down to the second half of 14, he says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So you move from that childhood state. You start to learn and grow. You're able to feed yourself, and you know a little bit deeper knowledge and truth. This stage is marked by um, the idea that you have been developing some of the basic foundational truths, and you're growing in that. You're starting to learn more and more, like, yes, you can rest in, I know God, I know I'm saved, and you start to build on that a little bit. There's still ways to go, but you're still learning, you're still growing. You're set on the basics, and you're starting to add to that. You've moved on from some of the elementary things and moved to a more advanced truths and doctrines. And John tells them, I'm writing to you because you have overcome the evil one. Now, it's interesting the difference between when he writes to the, those in the child stage and those in the young men and women stage. For those in the younger in their faith, that child level, there is trust in what you know. Rest in the fact that you know God. And now, for those who are a bit more mature in their faith, things have taken a turn. They have become overcomers, conquerors. There's a different tone here, right? It's not just sit and rest. It's you have overcome. You've done some work. You've done some battles. John here is acknowledging that the battle that the Christian life can be, that once you become a Christian, you are not immune to the dangers and hardships of life. If anything, you become a Christian and you have now declared yourself an enemy of Satan who will seek to kill and hurt and destroy you. John is acknowledging that as you grow, as you mature, you are developing a more biblical worldview and your theology is more developed. And with those truths come the need to defend those truths that you are clinging so tightly to. And so John writes to those who are maturing and wants you to be encouraged. Be encouraged because you have been tested and tempted and overcome. We should be encouraged whenever we overcome Satan's attempts to lead us into sin. It's going to be a struggle for us and really hard to battle the temptations that Satan throws at us. And so sometimes... It's going to feel so overwhelming, but when we do succeed, we need to be reminded of our overcoming. We need to reflect back on those times we have overcome temptation in the past so that we can be encouraged and strengthened to do it again in the future. Overcoming the temptations of Satan is evidence of the Lord's work in your life. You are maturing because God is doing a work in you. That we are no longer slaves to sin, that we are no longer stuck perpetually reeling against God, rebelling against him, our hearts and minds have been transformed and renewed. So be encouraged in that. Be encouraged when you see victories in your life. But John says, don't just be encouraged that you have overcome, but remember that you are strong. In verse 13 or 14, he says, I write to you because you are strong. And you are strong because of the one who you have put your faith in has made you strong. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Ephesians 6. In verse 10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers 
over this present age against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It is not that the young men and women in this stage are strong on their own, but they are strong because they are built on and rooted in the truths that they have known, that their sins are forgiven, that they know experientially the Father. Because of the truths of Scripture and the way they are shaping and changing their hearts, you have overcome the evil one and become strong. And both of these things, overcoming the evil one, becoming strong, these things didn't just happen on their own, right? You didn't just wake up one day and these are my new realities. I am strong and have overcome the evil one. Look at what I can do when I take a nap. No. You're strong because the one you have put your faith in. You're strong because of Christ. You have overcome and you are strong. Why? Because these young men and women that John is writing to have the word of God abiding in them. He says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. Abide is a word. We've seen it once or twice in this letter and we're going to see it much more as we go forward. It means to dwell in, to remain, to stay put, to last. These young men and women, a mark of their life, a mark of being in this stage, this a little bit more developed stage, is that the word of God is abiding in them. The word of God is dwelling in them, lasting in them. They are the kind of people who want to be in this book. They are the kind of people who want to study it, who want to know the God that is being revealed in it. They're the ones who delight in this book, that it's not seen as another requirement, another thing they got to do, another thing they got to put on the checklist, but this book is life. It is the fuel for the fire. As the psalmist says, it is a lamp unto their feet and a light unto their path. That they see this book as the truth and the gift and pleasure that it is, they, it's how they, that's how they see the Bible. And it's because of that reality, it's because of that mindset that they are maturing and growing. They're able to overcome the evil one. They're able to be walking in the light. They have fellowship with Christ because the, in the Bible, we see God revealing himself to us. And he does that most fully in Christ. And so if you are in this season where it's, you feel like, you know what, I, I know the basics. I got the basics down. I feel like I've grown. I've been a Christian for a little while. I'm starting to develop some things. I wouldn't consider myself in the child category. I think I'm in this young man, young woman stage you realize there's still room to, incur room to grow, your encouragement and challenge are these. One, rejoice in where you are. Rejoice in the overcoming that you have seen in your life. And do not take for granted that you have overcome the evil one. In the same way that we need to be real and we need to call sin what it is and expose it to the light and not minimize it, we also, in the same way, need to celebrate and enjoy the victories we see in our lives when we see God moving in us. We need to rejoice in those things because life is hard and Satan does not quit. He will not ever stop attacking. So when you see victory, rejoice in that, celebrate that, and thank God for that. And my challenge for you this morning is do not, let, stop, do not stop letting the word of God abide in you. Do not stop getting into this book. Do not take it for granted or lose sight of the life that it is in it. Specifically, those of you who are in Bible school right now, I know, I've been there. If you're not careful, this book becomes a textbook. It becomes just another book on the shelf. 
It becomes something that you got to get through your readings. It's just another thing you got to check off the list. And one day you're going to go to it because life is hard and hurting, and you're not going to know what to do with it because you only see it as a textbook. I know. I've been there. I've struggled through it. That is a lie and a trap, and you need to fight against that. In this stage, you are growing and maturing, and you're consuming a lot, as much info as you can. I promise there is going to come a point when you're in this stage, like every other teenager who has ever existed, where you are going to believe that you know everything. You're going to believe that you don't need any more instruction. You're going to believe, you know what, I'm far enough along. I'm farther than I might, maybe you're, you believe you're farther than you actually think you are. Pride is a huge stumbling block in spiritual maturity. And so a great way to combat that is put people around you who will be open and honest with you, people who can speak into your life, and people you will actually listen to. People who can speak truth into your life and say, you know what, you think you're this far, you're not. There's some red flags I see that you need to still be working on. We cannot forget that we are in a war with Satan, and so we need to surround ourselves with soldiers who will stand alongside us and battle and fight through life with us. And if you are in this stage, if you are in this stage where you've started to develop, you're starting to grow and mature, who can you, do you know in your life that you can help grow and mature? Who do you know that's in the stage maybe a little bit behind you that you can see grow and mature a little bit? Because you know enough, you know a little bit more than the basics, you can help bring somebody along. So we have the, the children, those who are kind of new in the faith, still learning, still growing, still figuring out their foundation. And then we have those in that young men and women camp where it's, I, I know the basics, I'm starting to build on that, I'm starting to grow, there's work to be done, but I, I'm still growing. And then the third step in spiritual growth that, Paul me, or that John mentions is that of fathers and mothers. He says in verse 13, I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. And then he writes again in 14, I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. You who are mature in your faith. You who know Christ on a deep and personal level. Who have walked with the Lord consistently over a period of time. You are like spiritual mothers and fathers, moms and dads to the church. Because you know what it's like to walk in the joy of being in deep fellowship with Christ where you are seeing the fruit that he is producing in your life. You're seeing growth. You're seeing these things. You're seeing him shape and mold you. And you also know what it's like to go through the hard, dark, scary valley, valleys of life and be able to trust that God is good even in those times. Now, I will say it's not just an age thing because, man, when I was in college, I had some guys, I had some friends who were much, very spiritually mature. And these are guys I learned a ton from. Guys who showed me what it looks like to be a, a man, who showed me what it looks like to be a boyfriend, a fiance, a husband. Guys who, not much older than me, but were very spiritually mature that I could learn from. So it's not like you have to wait. If you are kind of in that young man, young woman stage, it's not that you have to wait and say, well, you know what, maybe one day when I'm older, then I'll be spiritually mature. You can be working on that now. But at the same time, there is something to be said for that the older you are, just the more years of experience walking in Christ you have. And so, man, I am so thankful, so thankful that we have people in this church who have been pursuing and loving God for a long time. Because they, they add such great depth 
and wisdom and knowledge to our church. I was part of a church that was a predominantly millennial crowd, a very younger crowd, and uh, as part of the leadership of that church, and when we would get together to pray, myself and the other leaders would pray regularly and deep and hard that God would send us older, spiritually mature moms and dads, that they would send us these people who are in this kind of third stage that John is talking about here, send us people who we can learn from and grow from. We were desperate for that. It is a huge gift and blessing that this church has people who have been Christians for a long time, who have been faithful to what God has called them to. These mother and father figures are the kind of people who have roots buried deep in their relationship with God. And as John says in verse 13 and 14, they know him who is from the beginning. They know him who is from the beginning. Remember we talked a few weeks ago, the marks of what a real Christian looks like. We said to know Christ experientially, to obey Christ's command to love, and to walk as Christ walked. To know Christ experientially. It's not just information to them. It's not just regurgitating facts and figures. It's not that just that they have memorized a bunch of verses and can spit them out at any moment. The spiritually mature person meditates on the Word of God, dwells, abides on it, in it. It lets them, they let that seep into their hearts and they respond to what they have learned and let it affect and change the way they live. And they do this through regular and consistent pursuit of knowing God deeper. Remember, these are the people who have started as children in the faith. We all start as children, as babies. And they matured and they grew. And now they are those who have, can have great impact and influence on the world. I think it's interesting that John repeats the same encouragement in verse 13 and 14. He's writing to this older, mature group, and he says to them the same thing twice. You know him who is from the beginning. Why? Why repeat that phrase? I think it's for the same reason that Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, said that Paul's ultimate desire was to know Christ more and more in the power of his resurrection. That Paul, later in his life, he has planted dozens of churches. He has helped lead probably hundreds upon hundreds to get saved. He has been arrested, beaten for the name of Jesus. He has done everything he could do. He is one of those guys we put up as a pillar of the faith. He, at that point, as he writes Philippians, is under, uh, under arrest. He's under house arrest, probably going to die for his faith. And he says, you know what? My goal for whatever time I got left is to know Christ deeper still. And so I think it's for guys like Paul, for guys like John, probably for most people that are in this kind of later category, this father and mother category, there is nothing greater, nothing better, nothing more fulfilling for them to know God deeper and deeper still. There's not this extra next level. It's know God deeper. As much as you might know him, there's more to be known. I've shared with you guys often about how I have been impacted um, by older, mature men in my life. God has blessed me to have a lot of guys in my life to kind of just help point and direct and guide me. And one of those guys, um, my father-in-law, Kevin, some of you have met him. He's come and visited a couple of times. This is, he is a man who loves the Lord deeply. And he will not stop trying to learn more and more about this God that he loves. He refuses to say, I know enough, I've experienced enough, and he takes that hunger and that thirst, and then he shares it with other people. 
He doesn't just hoard truth for himself. He disciples other guys. He actively finds guys in his church, and he says, I want to see you grow. I want to walk alongside you and help you grow. And then he sits with them, and he opens the word, and they study it together, and they ask questions together, and they pray together. And I know from experience, because I was one of those guys sitting on his couch, that he is not just, you know what, I know everything, let me just give you this information, shut up and listen. But he is a man who questions, who is still learning, who will listen to other guys, who will listen to guys like me who have been, I don't think I've been alive as long as he's been a Christian. And he still will listen, and he's humble enough to, to learn new things. He listens and is humble enough to say, there is still more of God for me to learn. And so it's a joint effort when we sit together and read. Kevin is not an elder in his church. He's not a pastor. He's not one of those professional Christians. He's a guy who loves the Lord and he wants to see other people grow in their relationships with Christ. That's a mark of this spiritually mature. That's the kind of person John is writing about here. Those who are spiritually mature, who have life experience and knowledge to pass on to the next generation. And so for those in that group, John's encouragement is wrapped up in the fact that you have experienced, you know him, you know him who is from the beginning, and it has borne great fruit in your life. It has borne fruit in your life and the lives around you. What began as a spiritual life where you were like a child, totally overwhelmed and dependent on others and dependent on the elementary things, over time and a dedication to Christ, you have produced a life that is impacted the kingdom of God. And so I would ask and remind you that your work is not done. You don't get to retire from being a Christian. You don't do it for a while and then just stop one day. You still have things to contribute to the church. There are many in this church who still need guidance and help, who still need your input and wisdom. You all know this is my first pastoral role, and I cannot begin to express my deep gratitude and appreciation for our elder board. They are men who love the Lord, who have been pursuing Christ, loving Christ for a long, long time, and their willingness to show patience and grace with me as I try to figure out how to be a pastor is mind-boggling to me sometimes. I am so regularly humbled and thankful for the insight that they are able to speak not only into the direction of this church and where we're going, but to me as an individual. If you are in that mature, spiritual father-mother place, it means you have things to contribute to this church. You have things to share and teach, so please do so. I think I can speak for most of the younger millennial crowd when I say that we realize we don't, need, we don't know everything, and we would love for your input in our lives. Let us learn from you. Let us learn with, from you as you pursue Christ. If you are in this third category, your work is not done. Now, regardless of where you are in your walk with Christ, I want you to remember you have value and you are important to God. If you are just starting out and you're in that childhood phase, praise God. Amen and amen. Keep asking questions. Keep celebrating what you know. And if you're in that young men and women stage where you've developed a little bit more, praise God. Amen and amen. Keep studying. Keep pursuing God. Keep learning more. And start bringing others along with you. Start sharing what you know. 
And if you're in that father-mother stage, praise God for you. Do not stop doing what you have been doing. Do not try to retire from being a Christian. I will not let you do it. We're all at different places. We're all in different stages. But the point is to never stop maturing and growing. Do not be content with where you are because there is more of God to be known, more fruit to bear, more light to shine. So where are you? What camp are you in right now? Are you in that first childhood camp where you're still learning the the basic doctrines? Great. Are you in that middle one where you're kind of in process, maturing and growing? Are you in that third one where you're pretty mature in your faith and you've seen, done, experienced a lot. You're still going after God, but there's a lot there that has already been developed. Where are you and how can you grow more? This morning I've tried to give you some different ways to grow regardless of the place that you're in. And I want to close with one last thing that can help us all as a community grow. Uh, This Wednesday begins the season of Lent in the church. Lent is a 40-day season of time which helps us to get ready to celebrate Easter. Now you may say to me, why do I need to get ready to celebrate Easter? I can just show up on Easter Sunday, maybe with a little bit fancier shirt on, and we're good to go. That's Easter. That's how I've looked at Easter for a long, long time. And the more I've learned and read about Lent and what it does and what it can help us do, the more and more I think that I have shortchanged myself in past years when it comes to preparing myself to celebrate the resurrection. Lent is a time where we focus our hearts and minds on who Jesus is and what his death and resurrection means to us. And so we can do that through some self-examination and through practicing some intentional fasting, some intentional uh, prayer, intentional generosity. So as you came in this morning, um, there's still more on the back table. There's a booklet that we put together. Looks like this. says Lent 2017 Guide. If you didn't grab one when you came in, they're on the table by the door. Um, It's a booklet that we put together as a church, uh, some resources to help you figure out what does Lent look like. How do I practice Lent? How do I do fasting? How do I, you know, prayer is a weak point for me. What can I, there's some tips in here. There's some, a little bit of instruction. Um, there's actually in the prayer, in the back couple of pages, it's just prayers for every day of Lent, starting with, starting with Ash Wednesday. Um, so it's a simple resource to kind of just help you start to look at how do I pursue doing this Lent thing. This is a season where we can be intentional with pursuing our relationship with God. Because in fasting, we get to let go of something so that we can gain more focus on God. In prayer, we connect with God. We get to share our burdens with him. We get to share our joys with him. We get to spend time with him. And in generosity, we give out of the abundance that God has given to us. I encourage you this morning, if you've never participated in Lent, if it's a totally foreign thing to you, um, I would encourage you this morning to consider it. At the very least, consider how during this time, from now to Easter, can you be intentional with your faith as we head toward Easter? How can you be intentional in your walk with Christ? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for uh, this opportunity to gather and to celebrate and sing your praises and proclaim your goodness. God, I thank you for the diverse crowd that you've, you've brought together here at CF. 
Lord, I thank you for those who are new and young in the faith, still trying to understand, still processing, knowing that they have experienced the love and grace of Christ and knowing there's more to go. And, and Lord, I pray that we as a church are able to support and encourage them and, and rally around them to help them grow. Lord, I, pr- I thank you for those who have developed and matured some, who are building on those basic, block, basic foundation blocks. Lord, as we grow and learn as a church, help us not to be proud, to be puffed up, but to stay humble, to realize there is more to learn, there is more to know, more to grow in, and help us to want to do that together. And Lord, I thank you for those you have put into this church who are in that spiritually mature category, that father and mother figure, those people we can look to and we can ask questions of and we can get guidance and wisdom from. Lord, remind them, show them that their work is not done, that that you have still called them to serve and love the people of this church. God, I thank you for community. I thank you for giving us the church, for giving us this community of people who are trying to figure out what does it look like to reflect you? What does it look like to be lights in the world in this darkness? And we get to do that together. God, I pray that as we do that, that we are able to encourage one another, challenge one another, and point one another to you always. Lord, we thank you for the word of God that you've given us, for the Bible, for this great tool, for this way you have revealed yourself to us. Lord, let us not take it for granted. Let us study it. Let us hide it in our hearts. Let it dwell in us, abide in us. God, we thank you for who you are, for what you have done in this church for generations and what you will continue to do in this church. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen.